Surrogacy and Donor IVF, a limited podcast series. Recorded and produced by Growing Families, Sam Everingham and Kerry Duncan. Hello, everybody. I'm Sam Everingham. I'm the Global Director of Growing Families, and uh, I'm a dad via egg donation surrogacy. We had our girls via surrogacy uh, in India nearly 12 years ago now. And it was because of that journey that I, I got involved in helping other singles and couples around the world with this process. Excited that we're here. We're doing our first podcast of a series. Did you hear about it in a minute? Hi, I'm Kerry Duncan. How did I get here? So I was on a, a surrogacy journey back in 2019. I had my little boy via a surrogate, changed my life, and Sam helped me on that journey. After that, Sam and I wrote a book together called Surrogacy Stories, and we interviewed people from all around the world who had been on a journey to become parents via surrogacy. We wanted to share some of the amazing stories. Sam, do you want to tell us a little bit about what we planning to do with this podcast, how it's different to the book? Yeah, sure. So it, it's more about what's happening in the world of, of surrogacy and donor IVF globally. And it'll feature interviews with uh, myself, but also a bit about what we do as an organisation, as well as sort of a whole lot of topics that are relevant to this area about fertility preservation, turning to egg donors, sourcing donor eggs, you know, sourcing donor sperm, the, the types of people who are who are using surrogacy these days and what the availability is and the costs and the timelines in different environments. But even more importantly, things like what's this like from a child's point of view? So we'll be hearing it from later on in the episodes about how children think of themselves when they're born via donor IVF or surrogacy, and how are you telling your children about these things? We're talking about particular journeys in places like Greece and the USA and Canada and Mexico, Georgia, Argentina, and other emerging destinations. So there's going to be a lot of stuff we'll be going through in the in the coming episodes to take people on this on this journey and keep people up to date, really, with what's happening in an, in, in a fast-changing area. Mm, that's true. It's definitely fast-changing. And that's the difference with the book, isn't it? It's really, it's a, we wanted to make sure this practical guide to give people real information on what can be quite complex issues. I know I found it completely overwhelming and, and Sam and his company, Growing Families, really was like a the lighthouse, you know, just to show me the way. Uh, so this is about practical advice, interesting topics about keeping up to date with what's happening in the world and, yeah, a global perspective on where to go and how to get started. Yeah. Well, we should say, Sam, that actually it's pretty dynamic, isn't it? We've got 19 topics proposed, but they could change. We want to make sure that it's real information, helping people as they need it, really. But it's it's fluid. That's right. That's right. Part of it will involve interviewing uh, people, parents, surrogates, experts themselves about the their journeys and processes and what they've experienced. Absolutely. So I'm just having a look at my notes here for the, where we're going to start today. I've got some questions. I really want to interview you, Sam, because that you have a really unique view on, on this whole industry and you've got global exposure, which I think is fabulous, and you're dealing with this every single day. So I think you're the best person to start with an interview, and I've written down some questions. I hope you don't mind. It's going to launch straight into them. Yeah, yeah. Could you tell us a bit about Growing Families, how it started? You mentioned a bit in the intro there. Tell us a bit about how it started and where it is today. Yeah, sure. So it really started as as, as a sort of an organisation to try and support other Australians who are engaged in this process, and it was called Surrogacy Australia initially. 
And that was really because all of us were just trying to design our family building journeys via going online. And a lot of was, that was fraught with with problems because everybody's situation was different. There were some real sharks out there in the online space and lots of people were getting burnt. And and so it was a way to sort of bring parents, surrogates, you know, experts together to try and talk about these issues in detail and look at what the, what the hurdles were, what the sort of the considerations in the space to make it easier for people moving forward. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's gone from there to sort of sort of doing conferences and events just in Australia to doing those sort of around the world in countries like the UK and Ireland and New Zealand and, and elsewhere. Mm, exciting. I've got to say, I think you have one of the best jobs in the world. You might not feel like that every day, but can you tell us a bit about what you love? What's the favourite part about your job? I think it's really seeing those families created, you know, seeing the kids sort of come out of these arrangements, meeting the surrogates, meeting the parents at the start and helping them throughout the journey and, and seeing them there at the end with their with their families. It's been sort of a really lovely thing for me to to see the joy that it brings these singles and couples who who, who thought they might never never be parents. So for them, that meant it's been really special. And what's the number, Sam? I did read it a while ago. Sorry, I've forgotten. How many couples or families have you helped now? Oh, it's hard, it's hard to keep count, but, I mean, it, it's well over 3,000. Over wow. the last ten years, sort of, it, it, it's a lot. I sort of interact with lots of people every every week, really, through the events and one on one consultations. Um, it, yeah, it's always growing, and lots of people just come back for a sort of a second baby or third baby and need, mm. need further support. Often in yep. doing it in a different environment, a different country. Mm. Now, what about in terms of intended parents or IPs? Do you think the journey is getting easier? So, over the last decade, That's is it easier for parents these days? Look, this. There's probably more information around these days um, to help people, but unfortunately, it's not really that easy easier than it used to be because there's it's such a, a complicated area. There's so many things that that can go wrong in it, and there's so many changes happening, sort of you know year to year in the laws in different countries and the and the availability of donors and surrogates and the supply and demand issues. There are, are a real problem in this area where. You, You've got lots of people who want to be parents and, and not, not nearly as many people who who can be surrogates or donors. So it's mm. it's an area where you can get really stuck and, and sit in a sort of a, a waiting pattern for for a year or more these days. Back when we were going through it so 12 years ago, it was a newer area. There was supply wasn't such an issue. It's now become really fraught with, with issues for people and, and lots of people can't find solutions in their own country and are having to go abroad. And that's where we particularly step in and help because it's sort of it, that's even more complicated. Mm. So, yeah, my observation there is that it's it's probably a lot more accepted as an, and, and available as an, an option that people know about that these, the surrogacy is probably more well known, but mm. it's probably no easier because it's probably even harder in many well, ways. That's right. I think it is in a way. You know, the, mm. the cost the costs have gone up. People are aware now they need to do a bit more in terms of preparation up front. They need to sort of be aware that counselling's important and and they've got to sort of make sure they're protecting themselves and their surrogate and so forth. So with increasing awareness becomes increasing sort of complexity, I think, too, about mm, yeah. how it all works. And you know, governments have become more involved in the process and they've cracked down on these issues more and made it tougher for people in some cases. So mm-hmm. you've got to sort of get across those issues too. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of surrogates, Obviously, uh, there's there's a great big demand for surrogates. As you say, there's probably more intended parents than there are surrogates. What what are you seeing in terms of surrogacy? Is there are there trends, especially after coming out of COVID? We're seeing in countries that allow altruistic surrogacy, 
such as the UK, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, we're seeing a lot more women put their hands up to maybe think about doing that. Unfortunately, that's not coming with the right levels of support for those surrogates, and so many of them are getting a bit burnt by those journeys or, or unsupported. Mm-hmm. In the in the commercial context, we're seeing a lot, such a shortage of surrogates in some places that we're seeing lots of movement of surrogates across borders where, say, a surrogate in, in the USA might go to Canada for an embryo transfer or one in Georgia might go to Greece to work there. There's lots more cross-border movement. And that's partly mm-hmm. because there's so few countries that have surrogates that are legally allowed to work there and some countries that have the laws but not the not the population of surrogates. So, mm. And there's a cost issue too. IVF's cheaper in some countries and not in others. So the, the cross-border issues are becoming more and more complex. Yeah, and I imagine that there's so many different surrogacy experiences depending on where they go and if it's commercial or altruistic and and. You know, everything yeah. from the clinic they're associated with and the parents that they're dealing with. That's right. It's such it. a different experience. Yeah, and we saw it in the book we wrote, didn't we? I mean, how mm. we, we interviewed people who've done altruistic surrogacy, but some of those couples who've done altruistic, they couldn't even do the embryo transfer in their own country and they had to go offshore yeah. for that, which made it more complicated. Mm. So, you know, there's so many different permutations of these journeys and no journey is the same. Everybody's got a different sort of scenario. Yeah. Matter of making sure yeah. you um you plan ahead. Well, one thing I know when we did all these interviews, Sam, was it was just I loved how a lot of the parents kept in contact and became lifelong friends with some of their surrogates. And yeah. there were some really beautiful stories and relationships that were sort of born out of it. Yeah, yeah, there were. And whereas others wanted to have a really separate sort of experience because they, yeah, just to protect each party really. So I don't think there's any right answer is there, but it's it can be a really beautiful relationship ongoing if, if, if both right. parties choose that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But the book did show there's so much variety in that, and some people choose choose one mm. or the other. COVID, how did that change the journey? And we still we still got COVID, obviously, but it's, we're not locking down the world anymore. So you think that that's still a big issue? Yeah, look, it is in the sense of what it's done to the, the population. What happened, you see, during COVID is, is you know thousands and thousands of couples and singles put their family building plans on hold for mm. for years because they thought it's just all too hard. And so what's happened since then is there's a lot more of those intending parents who've come back into the environment looking for a surrogate or a donor, and it's it, it, it made the supply issues worse So because we've now got lots more people who sort of, you know, banked up um, mm-hmm. those those plans for a bit later in life, and they're now impatient to get started and the, the surrogate sort of supplies isn't, as, isn't there often, so it, it, it's been harder uh, for people. So the supply-demand yeah. issues got, got a bit worse. Uh, in fact, interesting enough, also COVID gave a lot of people time to think about their their life dreams and what they wanted to do with their lives. And we've got mm. lots of people come to us during COVID saying, "Look, actually, I, you know, I really want to start a family. It's important to me." Mm. And um, and so it was interesting. Well, they thought to themselves, "You know, this, I want to do it." Well, it wasn't easy to do it during COVID. They'd come to us during the COVID period and said, Let, "Let's at least get this planning happening." Yeah. In terms of changing demographics, of who is an intended parent these days and how have you seen that change? Obviously, there's probably more same-sex couples. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, look, I mean, same-sex couples, there's always been a, a strong demand amongst gay couples to have families. But, I mean, it's it's probably getting increased awareness. We're seeing more of those gay men coming to surrogacy at an earlier age these days. Maybe in their in their thirties and still instead of their forties, we're seeing a lot more single people coming 
into surrogacy single men and single women who who haven't partnered and, and realize they want to sort of create their family without waiting for a partner to come along. That's been a, a real increase I've seen over the recent years. And part of these changes are the fact that there's such poor access in some countries to adoption. And mm-hmm. so a lot of those people who might have otherwise adopted a child or fostered a child have instead gone down the surrogacy pathway. We're seeing also a lot more older couples come coming to us now for help who've who maybe, you know, spent all time with their careers earlier on and sort of they're coming to the age of 45 or so and they're realising, well, family's important to me. And then help with donors or often help with surrogates too. So that's sort of a real mm. a real change. And, and it's, I think it's fair to say that there's more and more fertility issues, isn't there, as, as people tend to have delayed having families. So even heterosexual couples start having, trying to have a family and then go, oh, we're maybe in our late 30s and... It's not happening naturally. Yeah, that's right. Fertility issues are increasing, you know, whether mm. it's, you know, uh, complications to do with failed transfers or, or cancer issues or uh, endometriosis, all kinds of things are complicating people's family building needs, particularly as, as they age, they get mm. in, into their 40s and 50s. Yeah. The next one I had is, are there any ideas, Sam, how do you make the journey less complicated for people? It's a really crucial <laughs> question, that one. It's all about how upfront- do you do it? All about upfront planning. You've really got to be informed about what the risks are, what the possible pathways are that you know that, that this journey could take. Understand what the limitations of of eggs are at different ages and what success rates look like. And also, I have a plan B. You know, I always say to people when I'm doing consults, you know, here's your plan A, which would be the ideal scenario, but this might not work out this way. We may need to turn to plan B, which might be going to use donor eggs, or it might be. Mm-hmm going down the path of offshore arrangements we don't find a surrogate locally and being prepared for those changes and setting budgets is really important for for people mm. also being realistic about success in certain scenarios and everybody's situation is different you know some people the success is going to be much higher because they're going to be using a, a younger egg donor and so things might be less complicated because yeah. they're going to be making really good embryos early on so their chances mm-hmm. of having a what we call a live birth uh, earlier are much higher than someone who's losing their own uh, eggs at the age of forty-two and uh, or forty-four and mm-hmm. struggling with the with the success rates yeah. based on that. And there's this complications then about having to switch over to make embryos again and do a second or third or fourth IVF cycle. And part of that is just being informed about what these risks are, what the costs of them are, are going to be if you're going to want to do five different pathways um so you're informed from the start yeah i've got to say that's absolutely been my experience when when you try and search individually yourself i I got lost you know googling and trying to find information on the web and just got so overwhelmed and it was literally once i i heard of you and and um your business wrote a report for me that it just became so simple so i i 100 agree with that sam i think it's you can never you can never take all the complexity out but if you get well-informed and have a clear pathway. And as you say, plan A, B, maybe even a C. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just takes a lot of the complication out, doesn't it? Ed- yeah. Information is key, I think, which is why, hence the, the podcast, really. Any general advice in addition to that for IPs? I think be open-minded about the uh, options available to you and yeah. be prepared to think of uh, things outside the square. I mean, sometimes people have someone who's offered to be an egg donor for them and... Sometimes we can, you know, do things in various places. Your donor might be in a different state or a different country to you. 
and it's still possible to work under those circumstances. You mm-hmm. know, we, we live in a bit of a global village these days where travel is much easier and we can and often do bring together babies by having intended parents in one country, donor in a second and a surrogate in a third. And those kinds of sort of scenarios mm-hmm. are increasingly common. But, you know, so it's important yeah. to, to think about that, also to think about the fact that you've got to be resilient here. This is an area where it's mm-hmm. not like buying a car or, or it's a bit more like building a house where things are, can go wrong and they and that, and they often do and you've got to think of, you know, ways to overcome those hurdles. Because mm. there's a lot of people involved, isn't there, whether you like it or not, when you go down the surrogacy path. Is, yeah, it really is a community making it happen. You've got a global view, Sam, a really unique one, and these fantastic global partnerships you work with. What are you seeing internationally about sort of changing laws and anything that might impact on intended parents and or surrogates? Are, are things changing fairly regularly? They are. I mean, at the moment we've got uh, major reviews of, of law happening in, in the UK and in Ireland and in New Zealand, and they'll all ha- have impacts over hopefully making the process more simple for citizens of those three countries. We've recently seen countries like Spain, you know, crack down on surrogacy and make things much harder for intending parents using surrogacy, where Spain saying, for example, we won't recognise children born by surrogacy by giving them a passport. So different countries are taking very different approaches oh, wow. in this area. You know, we're seeing mm-hmm. new countries open up laws for surrogacy, places like Uganda, opening up programs, we've seen new programs in places like Kazakhstan. So there's all kinds of sort of different countries who are bringing in laws or have recently brought in laws to allow these programs. It doesn't mean that it it makes it an easier journey having laws in place, but certainly means that it opens up possibilities. And I just know even in Australia that there's, uh, just talking about the complexity part, there's different laws, isn't there, Sam, different states and Mm territories so it's even in one country it can be complex let alone globally that's right um, and that's that right. brings back to that whole getting the right advice early on so you're not wasting time and energy going to the wrong place yeah could you share a bit of information about cost that's obviously you know that's a hard question i know because costs can be so different but to give a bit of an idea about maybe the range and even by country or just a, a bit of an overview about what you're seeing yeah sure <laughs> what currencies do you want me to talk about this in oh gosh I'd probably have the US. Yeah. US is probably a good currency because it's a very global currency that we often talk about these mm-hmm. things in. Look, if you're doing what we call traditional surrogacy, where you're not using a, an IVF clinic, the donor's using your own eggs, and you're doing a, a home insemination, then some people can do these processes from as little as, as thirty thousand US dollars. But look, it, it's rarer that you you will find surrogates who are willing to to do the traditional route, mostly. Singles and couples we engage with are, are doing what we call gestational surrogacy, where they're either using their own eggs or, or donor eggs. In that case, you're using an IVF clinic. And there are countries in Africa that where people might do this for as little as sort of $35,000 US dollars. But, but typically, you'll be spending something closer to sort of $90,000 US in a, in a place like uh, Greece, for example, perhaps $70,000 in a place like Georgia, the the programs in the USA can can be around two hundred thousand dollars US for a program with a egg donor and a surrogate and so forth. And there are some programs where we have what's called guarantee programs. We'll talk about probably later in the series where they'll fix the costs for you. 
even if you have sort of a several unsuccessful embryo transfers, they'll keep going until they have what we mm-hmm. call a live birth. So costs do vary hugely by, by country and, and depending on your success rates as well. And it's important to be aware mm-hmm. of those costs and what the risks are of success or, or failure. Be aware of what kind of programs you're eligible for. Because in some countries, you know, they're only mm-hmm. open to people of a certain age or certain sexuality and and others are open to all. So the cost range, as I said, can vary from that, that 30000 mark up to 200000 and And some people do choose those yeah, more expensive wow. programs Huge. in the USA because they give peace of mind because places like the USA have been doing these programs for many decades now and they know how to screen surrogates well, uh, screen donors well and look after them. So, and, you know, have legal processes that put both parents on the birth certificate to give people that 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 security and uh, and legal legal recognition. Sam, one thing I, I I'm sure there's other intended parents who are, who are listening to this that they probably worry about is that there's obviously a lot of costs in this process, but you want to make sure that the surrogate's looked after, whether it's commercial surrogacy or altruistic. And this is probably a hard one too because it's such a different experience. But what would you say to people about how they could help that happen? Because it's like you, it's such an overwhelming process in some ways. But you want to make sure the surrogate, you've, you've got the right surrogate, so you might know them or you might not know them. Often but we don't know them beforehand very well. But how do you make sure that they're going to get a good deal out of this in terms of being looked after emotionally and physically and, and, and financially, whatever that might mean? Yeah, look, it, it, it's a really good question. I mean, part of that is is if you're doing what we call independent surrogacy, making sure you've got the capacity and time and preparedness to look after your surrogate yourself. And in that sense, it's much better doing that with someone who's in your own own city or town. If you're doing agency managed surrogacy, it's really important to have an agency who who comes recommended, who who has good reports from other intending parents and from other surrogates about looking after the surrogates well. And that's where you know due diligence is important. You're talking to experts like growing families, talking to parents who have used the provider, and talking to surrogates who've worked with an agency too about were they looked after. Uh, mm-hmm. How do they feel about you know working with this agency in the past? Because you really are relying on on other professionals to a great extent in this in this area. Because you're not going to be there close at hand with your surrogate a lot of the time. Yes. Yep. Well, I'm sure when we get into some of the the um, individual podcasts, we'll talk more about this because I think it's a really important, it's an important area, isn't it? That one. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. And just look finally, this is a, another tricky one. The, what does the industry need? It's so. It, this is my observation anyway, it's quite piecemeal, it's complex. Different countries have different laws, different tolerances and different expectations of surrogacy. What what do you think the industry needs and what would you like to see happen, Sam? Look, I'd like to see more cooperation between um, countries in this space, more, more recognition that, that that surrogacy does happen across borders and, and it's going to be continuing to happen in the decades ahead. And as a result, more protection and recognition of, of the surrogates and the children born from a legal perspective, so that the barriers, you know, are, are less, but also that this there's more cooperation between countries in terms of making sure this is a a space that that is protect well protected uh, and well regulated. Because mm-hmm. at the moment there, there is a little lack of regulation in the in the area. There are some countries where anybody can engage uh, as an intending parent without checks and balances being put in place. And others where surrogates are probably not well screened before they go ahead too. So both those areas need to be addressed really thoroughly to make sure things are happening 
in a safe way. Mm. And Sam, can you talk a little bit about a sort of global or international charter? Is that something you can chat about or is it a bit early? Yeah, to talk sure. About well, look, I mean, there's been a Hague Convention working on a, on a global uh, charter for the last decade or so. And unfortunately, that that group hasn't had much progress in in coming up with a general agreement amongst amongst nations, given there's so much difference of opinion globally about where surrogacy sits from an ethical mm-hmm. viewpoint. It, it's been difficult. I mean, as a result, what Growing Families has done is put together an advisory board of experts from a range of different countries which offer surrogacy to try and bridge that gap, if mm-hmm. you like, and try and, you know, come up with it. Well, their own minimum standards and our own guidelines for how this should work, because there is a real black hole in the area right now in terms of agreements amongst countries about surrogacy. I mean, ultimately, it's all about protecting, I think, all the parties, whether it's the surrogate, the intended parents, make sure that the clinics and everyone involved comes up to a certain standard. And, you know, the industry has a really good reputation. And and when you, when you stand outside of all the complexity, amazing things happen when these babies are born. They're so loved. So how do we make the process easier and and for everyone involved and everyone's rights are protect, protected? So I love, you know, that you've put this this international group together to do that. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Is there anything else you want to add? Sorry, Sam. Uh, look, I think it's a really good introduction to the space for people who are who are coming to this afresh because we covered quite a few of the of the issues from a at least from an overview point of view uh, before we dig deeper into the into the later episodes. Yeah, absolutely. Quick plug, Sam, you've got some on your website people can find out when there's actual yeah, yeah. So coming up. Do, yeah, and we do have sort of a, a regular schedule of, of events in different parts of the world, whether it's an, an annual conference or, or, or a seminar in different cities, and they tend to be in, in sort of large cities like Sydney, Dublin, Perth, London, places like that. So, you know, they're a really good place to meet up with other, other parents. So these all events require lots of planning because we're bringing in Fantastic. experts from around the world to talk to people. So, you know, often we, we, it'd be very usual for us to have providers from sort of, sort of eight, nine different countries at, at an event. Mm. Exciting. Well, I can't wait to get stuck into more of these podcasts. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For further information, please head to the Growing Families website www.growingfamilies.org